Thanks, Ashley. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Good to see you all on this bright, sunshiny day. I am, uh, I know I've said it before, but I'm just really excited for 2019. I'm really excited for what God is doing in us and through us. I'm really excited that he's calling us higher up, further in, deeper into him, deeper into his kingdom. And we're living in exciting times, right? Come on, three of us are excited. Come on, 2019 is going to be incredible. And uh, it's going to be incredible because God is faithful. He is doing what he said that he would do. He is causing love for Jesus to grow in our hearts. And sometimes I'm just blown away that God himself would give us the wonderful Holy Spirit to come and be with us, that we have God on the inside of us, that we have God on the outside of us, and that he is calling us to himself is absolutely incredible. And so I want to release faith and hope in your hearts And I felt like this morning Jesus was causing fresh love to grow in our hearts for him. That he was causing us to fall once again more madly in love, more deeply in love with him. And we've been watching the conference this past week in Toronto. And just incredible seeing the speakers, hearing what God has done and is doing. And church family, I've been listening to the Presence album by Catch the Fire Music that just got released on Friday. And I've been having incredible God encounters with God because through that album, because of that album. So I'd encourage you, if you haven't listened to it, if you haven't heard it, check it out on iTunes, go to Spotify. Or if you're here in this building, uh, we have a bookstore set up at the back that you can purchase it and listen to it. Uh, this morning, I feel this urgency in my spirit. I feel this urgency from God about what I'm about to share. And it's because of the words that we shared a, a few weeks ago. Every, every year, what we try to do, at the end of the year, we uh, invite some people in our church community who we know and who we trust to hear God's voice to say, what is God saying to us for 2019? We have them share, and then we compile everything that's shared, and we look at the common themes. We look at what has been running through what everyone's hearing. And we've put it together. We handed it out last Sunday and uh, emailed it out this past week. There are still some more of these cards available. But when I look at some of these themes that some of the prophetic voices in our midst are hearing, I get really excited. I get really excited about the invitation from God for us as a church family. And just uh, two weeks ago, I was praying and I was saying, God, with all my heart, God, I ask that you would provide the finances that we need in order to do what you've called us to do. And I just heard the Lord whisper into my heart and he said, John, wrong prayer. He said, you're asking me for finances. You need to be asking me for resources. When he asked me for finances, you limit me, you limit me to money. But when you ask me for resources, you ask me to do things for you that only I can do that you could never do. You ask me to open a door for you that no man can ever open. You ask me to bring you before people of wealth and influence that no one else could ever reach. You ask me to make a way for you by asking me for my resources instead of my finances. So, son, I want you to start asking me for my resources. And I feel like that's for someone here today. The invitation from God for you is not just to ask him for finances, but to ask him 
for his resources, for your life. Because there will always be provision for the vision that he gives you. He will always provide when he releases vision. So ask him for his resources. And I've been looking at some of these prophetic words and going, wow, God, we're going to need more resources than we have. And it's an exciting place to be because he's calling us out of the boat. He's calling us to trust him. He's calling us out of fear. He's calling us out of worry. He's calling us to step into faith with him. And not just, not just us as a church family, but also you individually. I was talking to someone this past week, and they shared that one of the words given was that um, there was something started in 2012 that would be completed this year. And they were sharing that when, when they heard that, they went, oh my gosh, that's us. Because they were dating in 2012, they broke up, and they've just gotten engaged, and they're getting married this year. And they're going, that word is for us. That is, God is doing that in us right now. We are the, we are the completion of that word. And I want to encourage you that the things that our prophetic fr- friends are hearing that, ha- that we are sharing, we're going to be praying into it as a church family. We're going to be stepping into it. But lay a hold of it in the spirit, everybody. Say, that, God, that's for me. That restoration's for me. That healing's for me. That, the, that promotion is for me. I receive that. But there's going to be something that stops us. And that's what I want to share about Because I feel this urgency that if we don't line up with what God is saying, that we're going to miss the season. If we don't line up with what he's doing, we're going to miss the opportunity, the window of time that he has set aside for us. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 15. We're going to look at the life of Saul. And we're going to see that God had an invitation for him as well. But that he missed it because he was disobedient. And the title of my message today is a, is a second part of a message that I preached last year. And I preached this message and it's kind of entered into our church vocabulary. But the message was titled, God's Big Butt. It's okay, you can laugh. It was about God's big butt. Because I was reading Ephesians 2, and I was talking about we were dead in our trespasses, we were dead in our sins, we were enemies of God, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. And that verse jumped off the page, hit me between the eyes, and I went, oh my gosh, God has the final word over my life. It's not, because, it's not my failures, it's not my circumstances, it's not even what others have said over me, it's not even where I've limited myself, but God has the final word. And I felt like God said to me, he said, John, I have a big but for your life. And so at that time, I had people turn to one another and say, God has a big but for you. You can do that. Please turn to your neighbor and say, God has a big but for you. But God, the suddenlies of God... But as I've been reading and as I've been studying some more, I've realized that sometimes we have a big butt. It's true. We do. We try to limit God. And so the title of my sermon today is Your Big Butt. 
Subtitle, The Blessings of Obedience. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and look them in the eye and tell them, you have a big butt. Turn to your other neighbor, look them in the eye and say, no, 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 hold on, you got a big butt. And if you're with your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend or fiance, I want you to turn to them and look them in the eye and say, I love you, honey. I am no fool. I'm not going to start anything in any marriage here today, all right? Here's the point, is that we have the invitation from God. God speaks to us and he calls us and he says, come up higher, come up deeper. Come into me more. Know my love. And we say, yes, God. But then when it comes time, to put that into practice, we usually have an excuse about why that won't work. We have a, but God. But God, do you see? But God, do you know? But God, do you understand that I can't do that? And we disobey the voice of God. And so we actually limit the grace of God that has been given to us. The unlimitless grace of God, the, the vast, powerful grace of God, we actually put a cap on because we refuse to obey his voice. And that's what I want to look at this morning. So 1 Samuel 15, we're going to look at Saul has been anointed king. Saul was the person who was taller than anyone else. In the physical, he looked like the natural choice to be king. And God comes, and he says to Samuel, let's read in verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy them, everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. This is God's directive to the king of his people. And I just want to let you know that God doesn't do that today. This was in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, when we, were, when we are seeing how terrible and how twisted sin is, how it quickly spreads through a community. And what God is saying here is that the Amalekites, it's now time for them to reap judgment. God doesn't call us to go and attack people anymore. But rather, he, he sends us to show them the power of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. That's, where, that's when we are sent. That's our mission. And so what Saul does is he summons the entire army of Israel, and they go marching out. And let's look at verse 7. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt. What's Saul being told? Kill and destroy everything and everyone. Do not take anything captive. Do not take anyone captive. Why? Because the Amalekites are the ones, they're the ones who have been doing this to other nations. There's only one reason to go to war, and that is to get power, to get wealth, to increase your kingdom, to increase your empire. And so the Amalekites would go and they would kill the people, but they would take the best of everything. They would get rich off their conquests. And what God is saying is, that is not how my people grow rich. My people get wealthy because of my blessing over them. And so he's sending them as divine judgment, not to profit. 
And so Saul attacks them. But look at verse 8. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything and everything that was good. These there were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I'm grieved that I made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until they, have, they are wiped out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. The big butt of Saul right there. But I did! But I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, and pay attention to this, Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. We look at this, and we go... What does this have to do with me? Right? I'm not out here killing goats or sheep. I don't have to kill people. My friends, we're going to see that Saul's response to Samuel is the same response of our hearts when the Lord begins to invite us to step out of the boat and begin to walk towards him. God, in his grace this morning, is inviting us out of fear, out of shame, out of pain, out of rejection. And he's inviting us into his goodness and into his glory and into his mercy. But sometimes we're too afraid to act. Sometimes we would rather be comfortable where we are with what we know than to step out into what God's calling us to do. And so we disobey the voice of God. And when we disobey, we use excuses. We say, but God, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know you asked me to do this, but did you see what they did to me? Did you, did you hear what they said to me? God, they used the F word at me. 
I can't share with them your, your kingdom. I can't talk to them about you. But God, you, you asked me to give some money. But God, did you know I need it? God, I'm having trouble paying my rent. God, I'm having trouble putting gas in my car. God, I need it for this vacation. Sometimes when it comes to act, we are full of excuses, just like Saul. I see four responses in Saul's heart towards Samuel. The first is he tries to cover up his disobedience by being over-exuberant. When Samuel finally shows up, when Samuel reached him in verse 13, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. In other words, Samuel, what a great day. Oh my gosh, God has blessed us so much. Look at what we've done. Our first time going to battle. Our first time taking on another army. We have been victorious. Come on. Hoping that Samuel will go, yes. Oh my goodness, yes. And Samuel stops him right there. Really, Saul? You carried out the Lord's instructions. Tell me, why do I see sheep? What is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? Saul answered, Samuel, the soldiers, it's their fault. They're the ones. They're the ones who chose to do it, and I just kind of went along with it. But, and this is the third thing he does, he is over-exuberant, he blames the soldiers, but then he says, but Samuel, the things that we saved are good things. We're going to sacrifice them to God. We're going to make a sacrifice. Isn't this what God wants? You know, you've heard the saying that two wrongs don't make a right. Well, in this case, the way we try to talk ourselves into things is by saying, well, maybe three wrongs make, or three maybe, three wrongs maybe make a right. Maybe four do. Maybe if I do enough good, it will cover up the wrong I've done. And I know of people who have lied, who have cheated, who have gotten wealthy off ill-gotten gain and thought, well, maybe if I just donate the money to the church, maybe if I build a building for God, maybe if I do something good, we try to cover up our disobedience through acts of good service. And this is what Saul is saying. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to do something good for God. And Samuel says, hold on, stop. Let me tell you what God said to me. Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes? The Lord anointed you, then he sent you, and he said, go and completely destroy them. Why have you disobeyed the Lord? Why did you do evil in God's eyes? And finally, Saul comes down to this. He says, but I did obey. But I did. Samuel, I, I did virtually everything the Lord said. I did like 99.99% of it. Can't we just call it even? Can't we just say, this is it. This is good. And Samuel says, no. Because your obedience is worth more than your sacrifices, Saul. We try to minimize the wrong we've done and focus on all the good that we've done. I'll tell you how I did this in my own life. About eight years ago, I needed a new car. I used to have a 1990 Toyota Corolla. Beautiful. Uh, 
burnt red, Rosie. Faded red, I should say. It was vintage. It was amazing. Uh, it had a crack in the windshield. It had a crack in the floorboards. It leaked gas. Every time you went to fill it up and drove away, it looked like the car had peed. Uh, and I love that car. Uh, it literally leaked. The, the roof leaked when it rained. And one day a police officer pulled me over and said, I'm sorry, you're going to have to take it in uh, and get it inspected. I don't think it's roadworthy. And in my head I went, I don't think it's roadworthy either. Oh my gosh. Uh, and so I had to pull it off the road. And at this time I was working as a youth pastor. I wasn't getting paid a lot of money. I was pretty much living paycheck to paycheck. And I didn't have money to get a new vehicle. And through a miraculous set of circumstances, some of the church family got together. They uh, took up a collection for me. Uh, I got put in touch with a businessman. He gave me a car for more than 50% off. It was amazing. Like just step after step after step, God ordained everything. And I paid for the car. I brought it home. And that morning I woke up and I went, God, thank you so, so much, God. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Every time I got into that car, I said, God, I thank you for your faithfulness in providing this car. And I know that because you've been faithful with this, God, you're going to provide me a house. You're going to provide me a family. You're going to provide me a wife. You're going to provide me children. Sometimes God gives you down payments in order to draw you deeper into faith with him. That car was a down payment on faith in God. And every time I got in, I thanked him. But then I realized that I had, done, I had spent all this money on a vehicle and I hadn't been able to return to God. I hadn't been able to honor him financially. And I said, oh God, I want to give to you. Would you help me give to you? And that, uh, soon after, a couple came up to me and said, hey John, there was a collection taken up for you. We wanted to bless you, but we couldn't at the time. So here you go. And they wrote me a, a check. And it was exactly 10% of everything that had come in. And I went, oh, God, thank you so much. And I promptly went out and bought myself a new set of tires and rims. <laughs> I wanted to look cool. I wanted to have swag. I wanted to, when I pulled up, have all the ladies go, ooh, I like that car. And if I like the car, maybe I like the driver. hey -o. Um But seriously, I'm not saying anything. I'm just letting you know that after I got the car, Hendry and I got married. So, boom. Just saying. <laughs> I got from that point on my conscience was absolutely tortured I tried to shove it down I tried to put it aside I tried to deal with it every way I knew how but God it's okay because I needed new tires anyway right and the rims were so cheap they might as well just have thrown them in God it's a deal if I don't buy it I'm losing money God, you really want me to drive on safe tires, right? I had all these excuses. I had all these buts. God kept on saying, John, John. And I kept on saying, but, but God. But hang on, hold up. And you know what happened is his voice started to grow fainter and fainter, and my heart started to become harder and harder. It started to become more difficult for me to hear God's voice. And this is what we do. When we are faced with a situation that potentially will cause us pain and uncomfortable truth, we are far more likely to shove it down and make excuses for it rather than deal with it. 
We all do this. Uh, sometimes, I mean, I could be, I'll tell you one other way I do this. I drive in the car. Andrea goes, John, did you hear that noise? I think we need to get our car checked out. I go, be quiet, honey. That noise is always there. It always rattles like that. And I'll just turn the radio up so that we don't hear it. Because we're masters at deceiving ourselves. We're masters at turning a blind eye to truths that we don't want to see or truths we don't want to walk through. But let me ask you this. How do you know when you're deceived? How do you know when you have blinded yourself? See, this is where Saul's at. He has so disobeyed God that he's actually convinced himself, even though he knows deep, deep, deep down that it's not true, he's actually convinced himself that he obeyed God. And now he's trying to convince Samuel of the same thing. We do this. Here are some of our buts. Like Saul, we go, but I did obey God. I virtually obeyed God. I did it, didn't I? Uh, We blame others. But God, is their fault. That's why I couldn't do it. It's their fault that they weren't there at the time I was going to pray for them. It's their fault they started to walk away. You know how else we justify ourselves? This one. Ready? But God knows my heart. Right? But God knows my heart. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, but he knows my heart. And what we are saying is that we're willing to judge others based on their actions, but we want to be judged on our intentions. What we're saying is we are willing to judge others. We're very quick to judge others. They shouldn't have done that. They cut me off. They did this. They did that. But God knows my heart. God knows I meant to do it. God knows I thought about it. So really, it should count, right? We say this, but they really deserved it. God, I saved you the trouble. You don't even need to smite them now. I smote them for you. What are you complaining about? We say this, but it doesn't hurt anybody, God. God is literally not hurting anyone. Or we say, but no one will know. You know, it does hurt someone. It hurts you. And it hurts you because you need to harden your heart to his voice. You need to convince yourself that it's okay. And the moment you do that, you start deceiving yourself. That's why James says in James 1, he says, do not be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And because if you don't, you deceive yourself. You know, you know how else we do it? This might be my favorite one. God, yeah, I know I did it. I know I shouldn't have. But at least I'm not dot, dot, dot. At least I'm not doing that. At least I'm not lying. At least I'm not cheating. At least I'm not murdering. You know, maybe there's someone in here and you're cheating in your, in your business books or you, you're lying on your taxes. And you know what you may say to yourself is, yeah, I know I'm doing that. But one, no one knows. And two, at least I'm not Bernie Madoff. At least I'm not running Ponzi schemes. At least I'm not lying and cheating and stealing from all these people and taking their, uh, taking their inheritance taking their retirement savings. At least I'm not doing that. And you know what Bernie Madoff probably said? Yeah, I may be taking some money, but it's not really affecting anyone. They're still living. It's not like I'm killing people. It's not like I'm a mafia hitman. And you know what the mafia hitman is saying? You know, yeah, I may kill some people, but hey, they deserve it. They have it coming. 
It's not like I'm really doing anything terrible. It's not like I'm like, I'm like Adolf Hitler or something. And you know what Adolf Hitler said? I don't know. But I promise you he said something. Because that's the human heart. That is our tendency to, to, to cover up where we know we've gone wrong and we don't want to admit it. This matters to God deeply. And this matters because Jesus is after one thing, and that is to be the Lord of our lives. Not to be Lord over half our life. Not to be the Lord over 99.99% of our life. What God is after is what he's been after since the beginning of time, and that is your heart. He wants your heart, and he will have it completely and wholly and utterly. That is the one thing that he has set his face towards. He wants you. And when we reserve the right to decide when we obey or to decide when we disobey, we actually reserve the right to be Lord of our life. We actually have not made Jesus the Lord of our life. We are not willing to yield ourselves to him and to submit to him. Did you know loyalty is only tested when you disagree? When you agree, it's easy. When Andrea says, John, can you do the dishes? And I want some alone time. Sure, honey, I'll do the dishes. Gladly, I'll put some worship on. I'll put a sermon on. I'll just hang out. When Andrea says, John, can you mow the grass? And I was planning on spending time with the kids or I was planning on having some other alone time, going out somewhere, hanging out with friends. Oh! At that point, I absolutely disagree. And that is when my heart is tested. Hudson Taylor, James Hudson Taylor said this, Christ is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. Jesus is either Lord of your heart and King of your heart or you're the King of your heart. And the only way that you know this is when you disobey and you know it. You know it. You know that he's not Lord. And when we choose to disobey, what we actually reveal is what is the true king of our hearts. When you disobey, you reveal what you worship. Because if you truly love God, if you were truly able to say, God, I totally love you. God, I'm totally committed to you. Lord, I'm totally sold out to you. It'd be easy to obey him because you trust him. But when you disobey, what you're saying is, God, I don't trust you in this area. And this is what we see with Saul. See, what, Saul, what Samuel says to Saul is, you were once small in your own eyes, and God called you out, and he anointed you over king, over the people. But what he's just done is he's unmasked Saul. He's saying, Saul, your issue is that you are still believing that you were small in your own eyes. You are still believing that no one is going to look up to you, no one's going to see you, no one's going to respect you. And so we see this when Saul, he goes, when Samuel's trying to find him, Saul had actually gone to set up a monument to who? To himself. He had gone to set up a monument to himself because he's trying to make himself great. And you know what else he does? He keeps the king of the Amalekites alive. Now in these days, do you know who's 
more likely to die? A foot soldier in battle. You know who's more likely to live? Nobles, princes, kings. Why? Because they're valuable. You can get some ransom for them. And even if you can't, do you know what the Assyrians did? The Assyrians, when they would conquer, uh, when they would conquer a nation, they would take the king and keep him as a trophy. And they would say, look at all the nations that we have conquered. We are no longer a kingdom. We are an empire. And Saul is trying to move from being a king to being an emperor. And he's trying to do it in his own strength. And Samuel says, hold on, Saul. You, you think you're small in your eyes, but didn't you know that God would make you great? Didn't you know that God would come and he would, he would stoop down and lift you up? David writes in Psalm 18, he says, your gentleness makes me great. Another translation says, you stoop down to make me great. And my friends, God is interested in making you great. He is interested in lifting you up. He's interested in promoting you so that Jesus, his son, can shine through you. And when people look at you, they say, wow, Jesus is incredible. But he'll only do that if you are willing to move out of the way and let Jesus take center stage. And the way that's tested is through obedience. The way that's tested is, are you listening to his word? Samuel goes on, and he says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. And you know what Saul's probably saying? He's saying, yeah, you know, I didn't maybe obey God fully, but at least I'm not like a witch. At least I'm not like the idolaters who are worshiping idols. And Samuel says, yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're doing the very thing that you have judged them for, Saul. Whenever, whenever we cannot obey God, we reveal what we truly worship. And I'll tell you what you worship. You worship what you spend your time, your affection, and your downtime on. That's what you truly want. That's what you truly need. Samuel calls him out, for rebellion is like the sin of divination, arrogance like the evil of idolatry. And hear this, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. My prayer, of, my prayer in this new year is, Lord, I ask you with all my heart that I would be found faithful. Lord, I ask with all my heart that my heart would be soft to you. God, with all my heart, I ask that I would, my heart wouldn't grow hard, that my love wouldn't grow cold. I ask that you would give me grace to love you with the love that you deserve, with the love that you have loved me with. God, would you help me to love you deeply and truly and fully so that at the end of my life, I can look back over my life and say, I have loved you to the best of my ability and even beyond because the Holy Spirit gives us supernatural ability. But it requires us to listen to his voice and obey his voice, which lives right here. Friends, God is causing love for him to grow in our hearts. He is causing this love to, to be, that we would be rooted and planted 
in his love, that we would know his love, that we would be transformed by his love. And the invitation for us is to so yield ourselves that even when it's painful, even when it hurts, even when it's difficult, that we can still trust him and do what he's called us to do. Now, there are some of you, as I've been speaking, you've been realizing that either your heart is hard or your love has grown cold for Jesus. And if that's the case, the best thing that you can do is what is the last thing that God said to you that you disobeyed? Go back and do it and do it quickly. Because there's something about your will speaking to your heart and saying, we're going this way and you're going to line up. You're going to do it. Let's go. And when we make that determination, our feelings start to follow our mind and our will. What's the last thing that God said to you? Go and do it, and do it quickly. Do not delay. There are some of you, as I've been speaking, I remember we, we went through this, we went through a spontaneous series last year about yielding to the Holy Spirit. It is easy to yield on a Sunday morning when we're surrounded by people. It is easy to yield when we can pick up, a, pick up the um, tissue paper and wave it to the Lord. Lord, I yield, I surrender. But are we able to yield on Monday morning? Are we able to yield on Tuesday morning, on Wednesday morning? Are we yielding our lives day after day? Because when we do, God gets so pleased that he comes and he fills us. And his presence starts to hover over us. And my prayer for us, catch the fire, is that we would fall so in love with Jesus that obedience comes easy to us. And because obedience comes easy to us, we start to become pleasing to the Lord as a community, not just as individuals, but as a community, because there is something that God will release upon a community that he would never release upon individuals. There's something that happens when we as a church family, we start to say, God, we are setting our faces to you. God, we are running towards you. God, we want you more than anything else on this world. God, we want you more than we want riches. We want you more than we want wealth. God, I want you more than anything else I could think of because you are so good. And when that begins to happen, the presence of God begins to come in and hover upon us and people start to go, oh, Jesus is in their midst. Because we see them giving their lives away. We see them being generous with their time, with their finances, with their emotions. We see them being available. We see them serving our city. What happens is God comes and he begins to hover over us. And with all my heart, I ask that he would make us a people who love him with the love that he has for us. I want Jesus. He's the most beautiful person I've ever known. He's the most glorious person I've ever seen. And he laid his life down for me completely, wholly, utterly. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't reserve any part of himself for me. On that cross, he didn't say, John, come, I'm going to love you, but not in the area of finances, not in the area of emotions. He laid himself completely down, and I want to love him with that same love. Let's stand. I'd like, you, I'd like you to hold out your hands or hold up your hands. I feel like the invitation for us today is to surrender once again to the goodness and the kindness and the glory and the love of our Heavenly Father. 
that we would know his love and his love would set us free, that we would be rooted and grounded and established in his love and that we would actually be thrust deeper into his love in 2019, that we would go higher up and further in than we've ever gone before, that we would know him. Oh God, would you come right now in every area where our hearts are hard to you, every area where we have been resistant to your voice and resisted to you, wonderful Holy Spirit, would you forgive us? And would you come and would you rest on us? Would you come and would you cause love for Jesus to grow in our hearts, God? Would you help us to be faithful to you? If your heart has been hardened, think and reflect on his kindness and on his goodness and on his sacrifice and on his love for you and your heart will start to be changed. Your heart will start to come back into alignment with him and as it does, it'll become so much easier to listen and obey. But I bless you, Catch the Fire family, I bless you to be the most radical, the most passionate lovers of Jesus. I bless you to be full of his spirit. I bless you to be full of his life. I bless you to be rooted and grounded in him. But above all else, I bless you to love him deeply and truly. I bless you to see his beauty and see his glory, that you would know him and that you would love him. And I feel like God is giving us grace this morning to do that very thing. And if that's you in your heart saying, I want to respond to that. I want to say yes to that. I want you to come out of your seat and come up to the front. Come up to the front and begin to tell him and begin to surrender your life once again. Come on, if that's you, come out and come up and begin to say, Jesus, here's my body. Jesus, here's my mind. Jesus, here's my heart. In the areas that have been disobedient, I ask your forgiveness. But God, would you come and in your grace, would you cause fresh love for Jesus? Hey, fresh love for Jesus to spring up in our hearts that love would spring eternal. That, that the fiery embers of love can never be extinguished. And we bless you to burn with his fire and burn with his passion and burn with his love for the rest of your lives that you will be found faithful, that you would be faithful ones, holy and completely set apart for him, walking with him and knowing his voice because it's better than anything else we've known. Is better than anything else we've seen, better than anything else we've understood. Jesus, you're so much better. You're so much more glorious. You're so much holier. And we absolutely love you, Jesus.